kicking off a new series called Jesus Paid It All this morning. Um, so we're, our, it's a two-week series this week and next week. I'm really kind of encapsulating the Holy Week and figuring out what that all means for us and what it looks like. Today is the day of the triumphant, or we, we remember the triumphant entry, or Palm Sunday. You might have, I don't know if they got palms in the back today or not. My mom's back there. Who knows what your kids are going to come home with, okay? But um, we have this fantastic, this is remembering this fantastic moment in in history, in which Jesus enters into Jerusalem and everyone just loses their minds because for this moment, Jesus lets people praise him for who he is on earth. He does not let this happen at any other time. Like he's always like, shh, someone figures it out like, you're the Messiah. And he's like, calm down. Okay, let's just keep that to yourself. Let's just chill out. This time he walks in and let, he just lets it happen. And people say, the Pharisees say, shut him up. And he says, if, <laughs> if I don't let him, the rocks are going to start doing it. Like he just lets it happen. And it's this, this beautiful moment in which the, the authority, the lordship, the, who Jesus really is starts to kind of leak out of him. And he lets it happen. And, and what that happens in, our, in, in, um, in Jerusalem at the time and how it affects people's mindsets and their attitudes. Because... We have this moment, we have this time in which everyone is just so ecstatic about the coming of Jesus. Like, this is it, guys. This is it. Life is going to change. Jesus has come to town. Woo, this is going to be amazing. And then within five days, four days they've arrested him, five days they've killed him. This is without the aid of Twitter to, and, and Facebook to, to make public outcry, right? This is... Whew. Can you imagine being the most popular man ever to walk through the gates of Jerusalem on Sunday, and then on Thursday you're arrested, and on Friday they've crucified you? What caused this switch? What caused this, this, this attitude shift that's just is so fast? There's something that happens in this moment, in this time, is that Jesus doesn't live up to their expectations, and Jesus doesn't live up to their entitlement. And as I've been thinking about this, it's really, really easy to think about how terrible the Jews at this time were, how horrible they were, how they got it all wrong. And then I start thinking about myself. I think, you know, when I get disappointed with God and I get frustrated with God and God isn't playing by my rules and he's not answering my prayers the way I want him to, what is my frustration with God is that he's not living up to my expectations. He's not living up to my entitlement. And so... If you find your play, yourself in a place right now where you're pretty frustrated with God, you're disappointed with him, things aren't going the way that you thought they should, you're not alone. I had a really hard time this week battling those same feelings. Uh, my mom is going through a rough uh, time uh, with her health. Uh, those of you who don't know, who know my mom, she's had rheumatoid arthritis since she was 18 years old, and she's been battling that um, for what seems like ever, and she has her ups and downs with, with health concerns. And so me and my dad, everyone, we do, generally do pretty good. But every once in a while, it just, it just hurts. And you're like, God, what is broken? Why is my prayer, like, are you, is this thing on? Like, you've got to, you're not receiving my texts? Like, what's going on here? Uh, what's happening? And it's real easy to start getting frustrated with God, disappointed with God, disillusioned with God. And in those moments, I have to start asking myself, do I feel like I'm entitled to this? Why am I frustrated with God? Is it because I'm 
He's not responding to my expectations? I don't generally like the answers to those questions. Because it's, as it is on triumphant entry in, in the Holy Week, as it is here, Jesus has got a bigger story to tell. And the truth of that, sometimes God does heal people as we pray and he does miraculous signs. I've seen it happen. I've seen it um, happen with people. I've, I've seen God work in amazing, amazing ways. But sometimes those aren't, he's not working the way that we want him to. And we feel this sense of disappointment. Like, what's wrong with my God? Why is my God not working? The problem with that is God has always got a bigger agenda. He's got a bigger plan. And he doesn't have to consult us with it. He's God, and we're not. And that is a painful truth, is it not? And I look around the, the room, and I, I know a bunch of your stories. And I look around, and I'm like, yeah, because there's a prayer there that would be really nice if God would just go, and fix it. And there's a prayer there that if God would just go, and fix it. But God's got a bigger story. And that same frustration, that same disappointment that sometimes you feel in those moments, it's the same disappointment and the same frustration that I think the Jews were feeling at this time. And so let's, let's work into that today. Luke chapter 19. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19 and 20. Luke is what's called a gospel. It is a, basically a, a book about Jesus, his sayings, and um, the miracles he performed. And there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We will be in Luke today. Luke chapter 19. Verse 35, they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, it was a donkey, um, their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, Jesus spread, er, sorry, people spread their cloaks on the road. When they came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. See, all through Scripture, he's constantly slipping away from the people who want to lift him up because he knows what happens with these expectations. When people start to lift him up, when people start to say, You're the Messiah, you're, you're this guy, you're this, you're great, you're... You're the one that we, we've, been, we've been seeing in Scripture. When they start to figure that out, Jesus is always like, shh. In, one of, in, in Mark, one of the other Gospels, there's this uh, theological term called the messianic secret. Because every time Jesus is like, shh, shh. And think of who his disciples are, a bunch of teenage boys. <laughs> like, oh, did you see that? You know, I've got to tell. He's the, I'm going to trip on the little rug today. Um, he's the Messiah. He's like, oh. So often that Jesus is like, okay, they figured it out. I got to go to the other side of the lake. He runs away from them because he wants to keep this from happening. Because what happens when everyone starts to, to proclaim him as the Messiah is they get their own expectations and their own agenda in their brains. And that expectation and that agenda is he's going to come and he's going to kick out the Romans. He's going to save us. See, everyone in their mindset has the idea that he's going to be like a new David. He's going he's gonna to come in. He's going to... Um, He's going to start a revolution. He's going to kick out this evil Roman empire and we're going to have our country back and everything's going to be great and, and, and everything's going to be honky-dory. That's a theological term, honky-dory. Um, <laughs> and so he, he's, very, he's very keen on, on managing expectations of that, but he lets it just happen this week. 
And so when those expectations are he's going to be the king, he's going to be the, the ruler, he's going to be the revolutionary, and he, they don't, he does not supply it the way they wanted to, people get very angry very quickly. See, Jesus is killed because he is not what they want him to be. Jesus is killed because he is not what they want him to be. And when we have our problems with God and we run away from God and we have struggles with him and we, we deal in that, that kind of icky area of, I don't know if I believe anymore. I wonder, is it because we're kind of working through this idea of he's not been who I want him to be? Regardless of what they want him to be, he dies for them and us because of who he is. Regardless, he dies for them and us because of who he is. That's, a, that's amazing to me because when I'm frustrated with God, I can be pretty, pretty mean-spirited towards the ruler of the universe. Just being honest. Regardless of how I feel or my disappointment and my frustration, he dies for me because of who he is. Even though these are the same people that are going to put him through the torture and on the cross, he dies for them because of who he is. See, Jesus' sacrifice is not only for his friends and the people he likes, but for the people who want to kill him. Now, I think sometimes you watch some heroic movies or a, a Gene Autry movie or whatever, and you're like, oh, yeah, I could take a bullet for somebody. I could take a bullet for my brother. I could take a bullet for my, my wife or my kids. But his sacrifice is for the very people that want to kill him and that will kill him. Think about it. That's just... That's what makes him different. See, we sacrifice when it benefits those who love us. He sacrifices for those who hate him, those who love him, those who don't know anything about him, those who haven't even been born yet. He sacrifices for them. Jesus' sacrifice is more amazing than we ever could imagine. It supersedes all of our entitlement issues and all of our expectations. And so the hard question, I think, today for us to ask ourselves is, is that is your disappointment with God based out, of our, based out of who he is or who you are? Is your disappointment with God based on who he is or who you are? And maybe you're not struggling with disappointment with God today, and fantastic for you, but you will at some point. Is your disappointment with God based on who he is or who you are? Because God of the, the scripture, Jesus of the scripture, Jesus of the, the death and resurrection of the Easter story, of the Passover story, of redeeming humanity and drawing it closer to him. He doesn't disappoint with that. His overarching narrative of how I'm redeeming humanity is the main thing, not our daily stuff. He cares about our daily things, and sometimes he reaches down and he heals those moments. But my disappointment with God, does that try to shape who God is? Do I try to put God in a box because of how I need him to work and how I want him to work, or do I let God be who he is? 
Do I become servant to the God and the creator of the universe, or do I try to order him around like a waiter? If I'm honest with you, I find myself trying to order him around a lot. It's like uh, I have a one-year-old in the back today, and she was screaming her head off, so God bless the people in the back. Because uh, I'm a single parent uh, this weekend. Kelly is with Kendall um, in St. Louis today, and so I've got Bowen and, and Lucy. And if you notice that the shoes don't match or whatever, hey, they're clean, and they're here. And I fed them too, okay? It might have been pizza, but they were here, and we survived. Um, but, you know, she's screaming her head off in the back because I think she's already shaken up because she hasn't been with her mama, and uh, she got her ugly daddy, and sorry about that, buddy. Um, so she's screaming her head off back there, but she's trying to dictate what we're going to do. Like, there's, I, I got to do this. I can't just go, go hold you. And then some of you are like, I will volunteer to go hold the Lucy. I got I to be here. I can't go hold you, babe. I got a bigger plan. I got a bigger purpose right now to do this, and you're going to be okay. Like, people back there are going to love you, and they're going to care for you. It's okay. Pam is back there with you, and you're not going to get loved any more than by Miss Pam, okay? So, so baby girl, just stop crying. But she can't realize that because she's one. The same thing happens in our own brains, right? I want this, and I want my mama, I want my daddy, and I'm just going to cry snot and tear everywhere until that happens. <laughs> it's like there's something bigger for you, and you're going to be okay, and you're loved right where you're at, and it's going to be okay. You just got to open your mind to that. But as the Sometimes we come in that, that infant-type mindset. And that's okay. It's beautiful because that same infant-type mindset is going to crawl up in my lap later today, and she's going to snuggle, and she's going to do the whole snot wipe thing, and I'm going to love every minute of it, right? That's a blessing. You don't, you don't realize, like I had eight-year-olds, and I hated the snot moment until I had another one-year-old, and I was like, oh, snot moment goes away. I'm going to love snot moment. Is that too gross for you? Because like, a lot of you, yeah, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Like you, you, you don't like it the first time, and then after that, you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> But then I'm going to hold her, and it's going to be okay, and we're going to be okay. Because, but Daddy had to do something now. God works that same way. It's why we use that metaphor of God the Father all the time, is that he's the dad, and he knows what's best for us. Am I disappointing my daughter right now? Absolutely. But I, got, I know what I've provided for. She's, she's safe. She's fed. She's whatever she needs right now. She's cared for. I've provided all that. But I just can't do what, what she needs right now because there's something bigger going on. Does that make sense? good because that wasn't in the message so I was really (laughs) (laughs) so how how does he uh why does he make them so mad he he doesn't fall into their entitlement he doesn't fall into their entitlement he's not the king they ordered right they wanted the revolutionary king to come in and militarily uh destroy the Romans. Think about it. This is pretty cool. He's just raised Lazarus from the dead. So if you have a military commander who can raise the dead back to life, sign me up. I can be in the military. I can fight for freedom and I don't have to worry about dying. Woo. Yeah. Put that arm back on. It's cool. Whatever you do. You Jesus. It's all right. That sounds like a pretty good perk to being in that military. What's the next thing? Uh, I'm really worried about food and am I going to ever, ever eat? Just give me a sardine. Whoop, 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 whoop. I can just pass it out and make my own food. Like, this is what Jesus does. I don't have to worry about the weather. I can calm the sea. Like, this is the perfect military commander of all time. And yet he says, that's not who I am and not what I'm about. And so their entitlement issues are like, come on, God, this is the time to do this. Do you see the frustration building there? 
All right, Luke 20, uh, chapter, or verse 9 through 16, and then verse 19. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent the servants to the tenants so that they could give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I'll send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Verse 19. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. See, what the servants represent is the prophets that God kept on sending to them in the Old Testament. That the prophets, I'm sending you my servants. I'm I'm sending you my servants. I don't want everything. Just give me some of the, the, the grapes here. So it's just, it's this parable of what's exactly happening, how God as the landowner is operating in with, uh, with the Jews. And so at this end, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to have to destroy you. And that goes against, we're the chosen people. We're Abraham's son. We get what we want. And she's like, that's, you haven't lived up to anything you're supposed to do. You've beat my prophets. You're going to kill the son. And this shakes their whole entitlement issues. I just breaks it all apart. Anybody who was perceiving what Jesus was talking about was like, whoa, wait a second. We're the chosen people. You can't, you can't do this. Catch verse 16. He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. See what he's doing is saying, all right, you didn't pay attention. We're going to open it up to others. Because always this relationship had been in between, almost always, there's a few outliers, but this relationship had been between the Jewish people and God. Always been between Jewish people and God. And for thousands of years, it had been that relationship. And this is one of these things where like, you haven't done what you're supposed to do. We're opening it up to others. The way Jesus had been opening it up to Samaritans. And then, and then in just a few short weeks, we're going to start opening it up to everybody in the whole Roman Empire. And the world will be forever changed because you and I are most likely a bunch of Gentiles that are opened up to the gospel of Jesus and to the love of God because of sentences like this. The second thing he does is he reshapes their expectations. He reshapes their, I talked about Jesus as a military commander and how that would have been, uh, probably worked pretty well for him. Uh, but he reshapes their expectations because their expectations are that he's going to be a military ruler and come in and take over. He goes into the temple courts, and instead of using the treasury, instead of making friends of the people who are doing all these um, interesting financial dealings, he makes a whip and starts turning over all the tables and, and just making a big brouhaha in the temple courts. The very people he's going to need to fund a military campaign, he just ticked off. Do you see how that's a, that's a whoa, 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 you were supposed to be nice to them. Like Simon the Zealot's like, what are you doing? Jesus, that's our... That was our ticket. That was our money. Why would you do this? 
And so he throw, he, he's just throwing their expectations in the air. So the very people a revolutionary has to have, he drives them away. He goes on to disappoint people even more when he tells this next parable. Luke 20. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies. This is the Pharisees sending spies they, who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the, <coughs> excuse me. So the spies questioned him. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality but teach the way God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius, which is Roman coin. Whose image and inscription is on it? Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and God what is to God's. They're unable to trap him in what he said there in public and astonished, and were astonished by his answer. They became silent. Jesus does a classic Jesus thing, and he refuses to get involved in their little argument, and he answers a different question. And um, if you've ever had a really good teacher, they did this all the time. Like, like, but what about this? Like, that's not the answer to my question. I know. <laughs> uh, so Jesus does that to in this particular moment, and it just drives them bananas. Because what they want him to do, half the crowd want him to say, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar. Rah, and start the revolution right then. Right? Yay. That, that would have incited people. Quite quickly, right? Yeah, we don't have to pay taxes. This sounds guy sounds awesome. All for it today. You know, don't pay. Ta- <laughs> so you like you don't have to pay taxes. All right. But then they also would have used it against him to get him arrested to say, hey, listen, he's saying against Rome, blah 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 blah. And so you've got these two things going on there. But what happens is Jesus says that's not the not the answer. They're getting trying to boil him down into this. This uh, expectation of, are you going to want freedom from, from the Roman government? Are you going to want, what do you want from the money? Some people are asking, they're actually asking an idol, um, idolatry question because money with faces printed on it is, this is pretty much really, really new, like within the last 50, 60, 70 years of this time period. Um, and so to have Caesar's face on the money and you have that in your pockets, well, you don't have pockets, but in your little pouch, uh, whatever is a pretty big deal. Cause that means some people are saying you can't do that cause you have an idol on you at all times. Does that make sense? Cause it has a graven image. It has the, um, the face of Caesar on it. And Jesus is just like, I'm not even worried about that. That's not even the question. What? Give us deal with that. Deal with that. What? It's not the point. And that frustrates the baloney out of them. You see how that works? And so when the, he doesn't fall into their expectations of being this military leader, or he doesn't even fall into their expectations of, of kind of try, trying to incite people, he, they've overcome with this idea of disappointment and frustration. They want an earth, earthly revolution, and Jesus gives them a cosmic, timeless one. There's something bigger happening here than just a revolution on an earthly scale. And if I was a Jew... 2,000 years ago, and I was oppressed by a a Roman government, I'm going to be honest, I probably would have been just devastated that Jesus wasn't leading this revolution. I've been wanting for it. The people have been praying for it for a long time. And so Jesus just says, the revolution cycle, the, the worldly military conquering thing, that's not what I'm worried about. That's not even 
a thing to me. I'm interested in something so much bigger. I'm interested in the redeeming of humanity. I'm interested in that we don't have to do this slaughter the sheep cycle and birds and grain offerings. We don't have to do this stuff anymore. I'm interested in restoring the relationship between humanity and God. And it's so much bigger than what we've made it. And it's so much grander than what we've made it, guys. And what the Jews are trying to do is make it about these small things. They're really important to them. Really important to them. If I was living in an oppressed country, it'd be pretty important to me. Just like your own disappointments with God right now, they're pretty big. And I'm not saying they're not important. But compared to the cosmic scale of redeeming all of humanity, and this is something I struggle with a lot. But when we think of this week, and we think of our expectations in God, and we think of our frustrations with God, in this moment, in this time, we get to say, we get to see God and Jesus working in this moment to say, I want to reclaim and redeem everyone. The name of the series is Jesus Paid It All. He didn't just pay it for a few of our sins, and he didn't just pay it for a few people. And he didn't just pay it for a certain time period. He paid it all. For all people. For all time. For people who weren't born yet. For people who who weren't going to ever know that. He paid it all. When we make it less than that, we take away from who Jesus is. Jesus pays it all for everyone for all time. And in our disappointment with God, we tend to start to make Easter smaller. We tend to start making what God's actions are smaller. We tend to kind of boil them down and be like, okay, that's fine. That's, that's that week of, in, in April that we, we, we celebrate this, and that's this. But when we start to understand what God really was doing at Easter, it only makes Easter bigger. We, we can pull off the biggest pant pageant, have a Seder meal that, you know, I could hire a rabbi to come in here and we could slaughter our own lamb and we could do all kinds of fun stuff. I don't know if slaughtering a lamb would be fun, but um, we could do all kinds of crazy stuff around here, right? We still could never make it a big enough deal for what Easter is. We could, we, we, you just can't make a big enough deal over what this season is and what this moment is. Jesus pays it all. He pays it more than you can imagine, more than you've ever done, more than you ever will do. You can't out-sin what Jesus had paid. To think that Jesus cannot save you is to discount the enormity of who God is. Jesus' sacrifice is so powerful because of who he is, not because of who we are. It doesn't matter if you feel like you've sinned a little or sinned a lot. God covers it all. We used to have a saying um, in high school. This is a terrible saying. But when we were doing something stupid, <clears throat> my friends and I would look at each other and say, we're building our testimony. <laughs> we're just building our testimony. Or, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, not, not the best. Uh, I wasn't the greatest 17-year-old in the world. I know you guys can't imagine that. Um, but Jesus pays 
it all. We can't get away from that. Today, if you're struggling with that disappointment, if you're struggling with that disorientation, if you're struggling with that frustration with God, maybe you came to church today kind of on the, on the fence. You just got dragged here, maybe. Maybe you felt like a pulling that I need to go to church, but I really don't want to. In those moments of, of frustration with God, we, we can come back to the Easter story. We come back to the triumphant entry and go, God is bigger than I can ever imagine. He would stop at nothing to have relationship with me. That he would, he would confine himself to a human body for me, that he would die on the cross for me, that he would raise from the dead for me, that he would pay it all for me and for my family and for everyone who has ever lived. Easter is much bigger than we ever can imagine. It is the reclaiming of all of humanity and opening up the way for us to have relationship with him. And all that's required of us is to make God the rightful Lord of our lives. That's what's required of us. Jesus has taken care of all the heavy lifting. What's required of us is to say, God, I want to be your servant. I want to be your subject. I want you to be my Lord. And that's hard for some of us to say because we live in America and we don't do the whole Lord King thing. But this is what's required of us, to make God the Lord of our lives, the director of our souls. And when we submit to him like that, the frustrations and the entitlement goes away because if he is truly king of our life and he is really Lord of our lives, then we can accept that. And just like my baby, probably after about five, six minutes of screaming her head off, <laughs> stopped and fell in love with Pam again, and it was okay. Some of us, we go through that same thing. We, we have to be subservient to this is my daddy's wishes. This is God's wishes. And I'm okay. I threw my little temper tantrum this week. But God, I don't understand why you won't heal my mom. I'm a little mad at you about this. And uh, I shed my tears. And uh, then I went, <laughs> but you're still God. As much as it hurts, you're still God. And in a month, guess what? I'll be back to going, <laughs> but I have to make that choice. You're still God. And for some of you here in this, this room, I know you're right here in that moment. And you're fighting through that frustration. You're fighting through that dis- disappointment. But that same God that we're disappointed in, 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 that same God that we're frustrated with, he went to the cross to redeem us, to reclaim us, and to give us eternal life. And all that's required of us is to say, I submit to you. Let's pray this morning. Ben, come on up. God, thank you for today, and thank you for the triumphant entry. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this uh, opportunity. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're about. Thank you for what you're doing. And God, right now, if we're one of these people that have been struggling, that have been frustrated, that have been dealing with the uh, disappointment, even in you, God, and it takes a lot of courage to tell the creator of the universe that we're disappointed in you. But God, right right now, I want to just humble myself in front of you. I want to open my heart to you. I want to open my head to you. I want to open my soul to you. 
to say, God, will you, you take this life? And when I say that, I mean I want you to take all of it. I want you to be Lord of all of my life. I want you to be Lord of the way I work. I want you to be Lord of the way in which I, oh, I parent. I want you to be Lord of the way in which I, I'm a husband. I want you to be the Lord of the way in which I'm a friend. And God, so right now, as, as I know I go through these seasons where I try to wrestle back control of my life, right now I want to lay it down at your feet. I want to give you all of me. The happy parts and the sad parts. The frustrated parts and the content parts. Lord, I give you all. As you gave all for me. But right now in this room, there's people in this room that need to make you lower their life for the very first time. There's people in this room that need to recommit their life to you. So right now, I just pray with them. I join them in prayer right now to say, Lord, be the Savior of my life. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my past. Forgive me of my mess-ups. But right now, I want to live for you. I want to change the direction of my life to be your servant and for you to be my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.